Good morning. Good morning. Christmas Eve. What a great looking crowd. This is the last Christmas and New Year's will be in this building. <laughs> I think everybody here knows, but if you're not here, we're clapping. It's not because the church is closing. We've got another building we've been building. Um, this is just the last Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas and New Year's that will be in this building. And praise God for all the help. Those of you that are Facebook or social media, you know I put a praise report that we got the last roof panels on the building. So the roof is the roof is near complete, and uh, so we're excited. We are taking a break this week as far as the volunteers go. There may be work going on out there, but it'd be contractors if so. Otherwise, the volunteers were taking a much-needed break. It's been seven, six days a week on the building project for a, a few months here, so we're ready for that break. Well, I want to, again, thank you for being here. Uh, I want to open us in prayer for the next part of our service. And my heart truly is this morning. I, I'm so thankful for my family, my extended family. But I'm also cognizant, although I've been raised in a godly home with a great heritage of ministers and missionaries, that not everyone has a, a family with that background. And so those of you who are believers may very well face some persecution in different forms this this Christmas we say that word it's a trigger word and you think that I'm talking about someone being beaten but persecution can come in all forms but I know some of you will will be trying to let your light for Jesus shine among those that maybe are not serving him and so I want to also pray for you as you get around your family we had a great time last Sunday and Wednesday and Wednesday night and last Sunday I, I challenged that let this be Let this truly be a time that you are a minister of the gospel. Let the focus be on, on you being a minister to those around you who need to know the hope of the eternal world. Why do we do this? For religion's sake? Because we go to church? No. Because each and every one of us have been rescued from the muck and mire that this world and sin and the enemy entangles us in. And so with that freedom, with that joy in our hearts, we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to offer that opportunity to others. Amen. 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 Well, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for these uh, bright, shining faces this morning. God, to come together on Christmas Eve when the world says and the commercialization of, of this time that this is a time that we all just spend on ourselves. But God, that's not what this time is about. It's about the greatest gift ever given to man is the offer of salvation through the birth of your son, Jesus. Jesus, that you came in human form, that you came in flesh, fully God, fully man, but you lived a life to understand what we go through. You understand fully what we feel and what we are, we are faced with in, in serving you. And God, I pray for encouragement and strength, Lord, that you rise up, that you send the power of God through every backbone, Lord, here, that as they face, Lord, family members and, and loved ones, God, who may not know you, that God, with compassion and love in their heart and your light in their eyes, God, that they share the hope of the gospel this season. And I thank you. I pray over this time as we get into the word, God, that you just bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well. We sang a song that, that's very fitting. I didn't choose the songs this morning, nor did I know the song list, but we, we talked about the three wise men. And uh, I want us to turn in our uh, Bibles to chapter, Matthew chapter 2. This is the story of the birth of Jesus. You know in Matthew, Luke, and Mark, 
there's different accounts, and we spoke a little bit about that last Sunday, but, but this morning, even if you weren't here last Sunday, you won't be lost at all in this, because the focus is about these three wise men. Well, we say three, but actually we don't know for sure how many there were. But we're going to look at this a little closely here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, you know that the average American this season will spend about $900 on holiday gifts, which is quite a bit up. I think back uh, just a few years back is around 700 uh, It fluctuates depending on what people perceive of the economy and their financial situation. About $900 on gifts and goodies this year, totaling more than over $500 billion that will be spent. There'll be billions of gifts opened this Christmas season. And it's traditional. It's traditional that we open gifts. Now it's easy sometimes as Christians that we may vilify we may vilify um, opening of presents. Turn that on while we were singing because it was getting hot in here. Everybody's singing so well. All right. But it, it's, it's tradition. And, you know, a lot of people, will, and sometimes in the church, will try to vilify certain aspects of the holidays like gift giving. But it's very much according to God's word. We do that as a representation of, again, the greatest gift that Jesus came. And then also the reference of the wise men that brought these gifts. Gift-giving at Christmas is actually thought to, by most scholars, to have uh, kind of roots in uh, the Magi's gifts for Jesus' birth. Who were these Magi or wise men from the East or three kings, as they're sometimes called? We actually know very little about them, but most of our uh, notions about them are based on tradition and not very reliable ones at that. We know from the Bible that they were men. We know that part. They were not women. Um, and I'm sure you've heard the joke about how different the visit to uh, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus would have been if these were wise women instead of wise men. You can guess where this is going. They would have, for one, asked for directions, no matter what the star was saying. They would have arrived on time. I'm not so sure about that one. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts. And they would have remembered the baby's name, the length, and how much he weighed. Before you get too smug, ladies, here's, here's the other side of the coin is what they would have had if it had been three wise women. They would have said things like, did you see the sandals Mary was wearing with that gown? That baby doesn't look anything like Joseph. Can, can you believe that they let those disgusting animals in the house? You want to bet on how long it is until she returns my casserole dish? There's actually a popular idea, right or wrong, um, that they were maybe astrologers, but that's actually a myth too. Um, one has said that maybe uh, an Arkansas preacher, preacher had his own view of their occupation. He believed that they were firemen because they came from afar. Actually, it's now generally believed that the Magi were priest, uh, priestly cast from Persia. We do know that they traveled thousands of miles. 
we, we do know that they, they came um, out of the prompting of seeing the star, but, but some scholars would say maybe these were astrologers that had studied the ancient scriptures. Some say they were likely um, those remaining in um, after the Exodus, that they remained uh, in some of those territories. We know um, that they were men of very important stature. But again, we don't really know how many of them there were. The idea that they were three is based solely on the fact that the number of gifts given. That was, that was how we came to three wise men is because three gifts were given. But really, Scripture says they opened their treasure chest and gave three gifts. The idea that they were kings comes from the early church, Father Tertullian, which, because the Old Testament had prophesied that kings would worship the Messiah, uh, it was mixing up his first and second comings. The idea that their names, they, they, they gave names of Melchior, Belshazzar, and Gaspar, that's pure myth. We don't really have names either. But what's not a myth is that Matthew, the author Matthew, tells us in chapter 2 of his gospel that wise men from the east saw a star. And it re- they realized that it pointed to the birth of the promised Messiah. And that they consulted Herod. Remember last week, if you were here or if you weren't, Herod the king, he, he was not the rightful heir to the throne. And the Jewish people resented him because of that. And the very fact that, that a Messiah, one that was promised, whether it was truly the Messiah or just people began to believe that it was a Messiah, that, that this would cause an uprising. This would cause a problem for King Herod. And these wise men, who were not Herod's men, but had come from afar, um, came and consulted with Herod what they're trying to find. And then Herod consulted the religious leaders as to where the Messiah would be born, which was Bethlehem, because they'd been told uh, in, in the Old Testament that he, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Also, they consulted that, that they, they were going to Bethlehem, and when they went, they found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. But here's the thing that we miss in the story. We see the nativity. Now, I'm not trying to mess up anybody's nativity. You don't need to go home and rearrange and take the wise men out of the stable, right? But, but they actually found Mary and Joseph in a house because this was known to be possibly uh, a couple years after Jesus' birth when they came and gave the gifts. But Scripture actually says they found them in a house. By then, Mary and Joseph had married. They had set up a home. And so, and so we do know that, that they weren't actually in the manger bringing the gifts there. Again, though, if they'd been wise women, they would have been on time at the stable, right? But they're two years late because they didn't ask for directions. No, I'm kidding. But they came in, we do know that they gave the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, myrrh and they worshipped him. Very, very um, keenly that we sang, that we, when we bow and worship, that that was uh, one of the things that very important and integral to the story of the wise men coming. And also we know from Scripture that's not commonly talked about is after they came and visited, because of a dream that God gave them, they returned to their own country a different way instead of reporting back to Herod because Herod had instructed them. He, Herod said, hey, when you find this Messiah, would you tell me where he's at so I could come worship him? Well, we know that also about that time, Herod issued a decree that they were going to kill all the uh, boys two years old and younger. So he wasn't wanting to worship him. He was wanting to annihilate him, but he had tried to trick the wise men and say, come back and tell me where you find him. But they, through God revealing to them, they, they turned and went a different way. 
But it's the gifts they gave that I want to focus on this Christmas Eve. I, I prayed about what can I really, in the short time that we have on Christmas Eve, in just one service where we can see that um, obviously there's some visiting that are not here regularly. We have a lot of people who are out traveling. We know lar- some large families. And so I'm thankful we're moving to three and a half times the seating when we get in the new building. But, but you know, when I prayed about, God, there'll, there'll be some that just really need this morning to hear um, who you are through your word. To, to really be reminded of, of who you are. And so I want to focus on these gifts because these gifts in themselves help point us to who Jesus is. Why did Matthew include this story? Remember that everything in the Bible is there for a purpose, but why? One purpose is that the story magnifies the importance of his humble birth, yes. But I think the best explanation for why Matthew recorded it is to understand the meaning behind the gifts. Otherwise, knowing God's infant wisdom, he would have given us more detail about the wise men. If it was all about the wise men, we would have known their names, right? We would have known how many of them. Exactly where did they come from? What was their background? What was their genealogy? But it was the gifts they gave at the most famous baby shower in history. Think about the pressure at that baby shower to have everything right. They tell us the wonderful truths about who this little baby was and what he was destined to do. And the meaning behind the gifts is wonderfully and accurately captured in this account in Matthew. And we also know it's also captured in the well-known Christmas carol, We Three Kings. We Three Kings was composed by an Episcopal minister who named Henry Hopkins in the 1800s. And the reason he penned this uh, carol was to help his nieces and nephews understand the true significance of the Christmas story. Even then, in the 1800s, concern about losing what the true meaning of Christmas is. The first verse and the chorus set the theme and the tone for the song, and the remaining verses explain the meaning of the gifts. So let's examine the meaning behind these gifts. The first one is they gave gold. Now why did they give gold? Well, this would have been something that would have been expected to honor a king. So they gave gold to identify Jesus as king. The second verse of We Three Kings goes, Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. We know they recognized Jesus as the king of the Jews because when they came to Herod, they asked, this is their words to Herod, where is that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him in Matthew 2.2. 2. Remember that the target audience of the gospel of Matthew was the Jews. The promised Messiah is portrayed as the king who will rule the Jews and the world and his headquarters in Jerusalem. Although the Jews at the time were thinking of a king who would set up a physical kingdom there, to overthrow all the evil empires and then rule with their king. They weren't thinking of necessarily just eternity. They thought it would be a physical king. So the way Jesus was arriving was not what they would have thought. And though Jesus was born in a humble stable of some sort, though he grew up not in a palace, but in a poor carpenter's home, though all his life he was poor and without even a place to lay his head, and though he was brutally beaten, cruelly treated and crucified across, Matthew gives us this, that this humble servant was indeed the long-promised king. 
Remember later when he was crucified, Jesus did not stay on that cross. He rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven and now is at the right hand of the Father. You know, it's so amazing how much the story of Jesus we cannot even fully realize until the day of the Lord has come and we are in heaven. Because many of us do come from humble beginnings. And we became a believer maybe in a church service where we raised our hand and came down to an altar maybe as a young child or as an adult. And, and then we've lived in the world where it seems like church is something that's just a choice and, and belief in God is just a choice. And you go to work and the real world is about earning the money, paying the bills, rising the ladder, doing whatever to get where you're going to go. But one day when we as believers stand with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to rule over, remember there will be a new heaven and a new earth to rule over. All those things that people toiled and made important over relationships, over, over kingdom stuff. It, it will be us who will, who will come from humble beginnings but are of a royal priesthood, the Bible tells us. You may not feel like royalty today, but if you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you are of a royal priesthood. We, we watch movies that, that fantasize about, about the, the, the kid that's found uh, Willy Wonka. That's a popular Christmas one, right? Poor, humble beginnings, right? And, and he, he wins the golden ticket. And because of his poor, humble beginnings, he has a good heart. And he's with all the bratty kids, right? Come on, kids. I'm throwing you a bone here so you can get into this message, all right? Whether it's the first Willy Wonka or the second one, either one. The first one was not as weird as the second one, if you ask me. <laughs> All I can think of is Edward Scissorhands meets kids with candy. That's just <laughs> wrong. All right, we, we don't have time to get off track here too much. But. but there's something that wells up in us. Because what I believe that that touches is what God has stamped on our heart. So much of what we, we even entertain ourselves with have hints of that stamp of God in us that he's called us out of humble beginnings. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy on this earth, you're still coming from humble beginnings because you live in a fallen world that is broken and heartache. Even the richest person goes to bed at night, lays their head on their pillow just like you do, whether it's an expensive pillow or a cheap one, either way carries burdens and carries heartache. And so, so this is the story that we're reading of our Lord and King who humbled himself, came down as a baby in a manger. And Revelation 19.6 tells us the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, where we read about Jesus. Revelation 19.6 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that always draws to my favorite joke that I have worn out, but I just got to ask, is it written with Sharpie on his thigh or is it a tattoo? No, I'm kidding. When you're God, you don't have to be, have, be, have a tattoo. I'm going I'm to mess with my parents and anybody in their generation right now. Okay, we'll move on from tattoos. All right. And Revelation 17, 14 says, they will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them. Amen? For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Are you with him? Because if you are, you're called and you're chosen, and he wants you to be faithful. Someday Jesus will fulfill every prophecy he made to the Jews, and there's prophecies being fulfilled right now that are exciting. If you, if you study your word and if you study prophecy, you'll know that right now in this world, we're, we're coming up on, on uh, some in, in, integral prophecies that are coming true. 
The second gift, the next, the next is the wise men gave frankincense to honor Jesus as God. The, verse of the, the next verse of We Three Kings says, Frankincense to offer I have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising all men raising. Worship him, God most high. Frankincense was an Aramaic incense. Um, uh, Aramaic. Uh, uh, aromic. Is that, am I getting my, my words right? But it was used in the worship of God in the temple. This is very important because when you read this story, you're just thinking, okay, expensive gifts. No, there was significance to what they gave. But that frankincense was what would be smelled at the altar burning before the Lord. Even in Scripture, we know that it talks about our prayers are like incense that billow before the Lord, that roll up before the Lord. And so this is important. So we know that through this, the wise men recognized Jesus' divinity because we're told in our text that when they found him, when they found Jesus, they fell down and worshipped him. So they're treating him as God. They treated him as king. They treated him as God. And this is all the more remarkable when you realize that the vast majority of Jews never did and still do not acknowledge that Jesus is divine. I, I love our Jewish brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about Messianic Jews who believe Jesus is... But, but the, the Jewish, because they're missing that their Messiah has come. He's coming back, but they're missing that, that he's come. But in Old Testament, yet the promised Messiah would, would be divine is found throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, Messiah being divine in Isaiah 9.6. It says, for, us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Earlier in his prophecy, Isaiah said this about the coming Messiah in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The naysayers who want to pick at the authenticity of the scripture cannot even fathom uh, what's gone into to show these are earlier writings than when Jesus came on the scene. A and his birth and everything about him fell in line exactly with what ancient scripture said it would. Then the title Emmanuel means God with us. That Jesus was God with us in human flesh. And there are many other Old Testament scriptures that allude to the deity of Jesus. So they, they acknowledge him as God. Not just as a king on earth. Not just as a baby in the flesh who, who had a destiny. But as deity. And the deity of Jesus Christ is an essential truth to the Christian faith. It's what Christmas is about. That he is our king of kings and lord of lords. It's what the virgin birth was all about, that, that he couldn't be of natural birth. It, it's the major theme of the gospel as well as much of the rest of the New Testament. You cannot even be saved if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Why is it so important? Because if Jesus were fully God while also being fully human, he would not have, he would not have uh, been able to, if, if he was not, not been able to live a sinless life while on earth. And thus he would not be qualified to serve as our substitute on the cross. If Jesus had sinned just what we think a little tiny sin, a little white lie, what people call it, he would not be worthy to, to take the position he did as savior of the world. 
And then it brings us to the final gift. The wise men gave myrrh to honor Jesus as Savior. The fourth, fourth verse of We Three Kings says, Myrrh is mine, it's, better, it's bitter perfume. Breaths of life, of gathering gloom, sorrows, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. But I tell you what, tongue-tied today. What kind of song is this for the birth of a baby? Dying, bleeding, stone-cold tomb? Why, why so, such gloomy, despairing words? Well, it's tied up in the myrrh because myrrh was this aromic gum used to embalm the dead. That the, the scent of it was so strong that it could overpower the smell of death. And so the gift of myrrh foreshadowed the purpose for which God's Son came to this earth. So the whole purpose that Jesus was born was foretold even in the gift of myrrh at the beginning. That this baby who you celebrate, can you imagine, can you imagine coming to a, a um, baby shower and here's these gifts and these cards and everything and then there's all of a sudden like a in memory of. And, uh, you know, so sorry for your loss. And, and oh, here's, here's some Bibles through the Gideons in memory of your child when they die. Right? That even in the gift is being foretold, your baby, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God's Son, Deity, His time here is short, but is purposeful. The baby Jesus, the, when the wise men came to see him born, they were pointing already to the cross for the Lamb of God who would take all of our sin upon himself so that we might have eternal life. This theme is repeated over and over again in the Christmas story. The angel of the Lord told Joseph concerning Mary in Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The angels declared to the shepherds in Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That, that's how the Jews got it mixed up that he's going to save us. Their idea of saving was different than what God had planned. Because they're thinking of a physical saving from the physical uh, um, captivity and the oppression of the world. But, but what Jesus was coming to was to save their souls and free their souls i could give you many verses declaring this purpose but paul says it best when he declared this is a faithful saying and worthy of all ex, uh, all ex expectation that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief first timothy 1 15 paul's like i'm the chief of sinners and he still came to save me Matthew 2.1 describes these magi as wise men. No wonder. They knew the baby Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. They recognized that this baby Jesus was God in the flesh. He was deity. And they recognized that he came to die for the sins of the world, including their own. These wise men gave precious and, and precise gifts to Jesus. These gifts pointed to who he was. This Christmas season, even through the gifts in the story, 
even through the gifts in the story, say who he is. I, I heard a Christian comedian say, there's nothing that says I, I don't care about you enough to shop for you than a gift card. And everybody's like, oh no, you just ruined it for me, pastor. But, but I had no time to shop for you, so it's the gift card, right? But these gifts from the wise men were precise. They were pointing to the salvation of the world, foreshadowing the cross and the empty tomb and the risen Savior. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. John 3.16, we all hopefully know this, this scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Every time you watch a major ball game and you see it in the stands, think how many people their eyes are glancing over that truth and it not phasing them, not realizing the significance of what that means for them. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Speaking of Jesus, his son. And all through the New Testament, eternal life is offered as a free gift, as in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages or the penalty of our sin is death physical death on the earth, and eternal death in hell. But God gave his son to die for our sins so we could have the free gift of salvation. That's why the gifts pointed to the cross. That's why the gifts pointed to the tomb. But the empty tomb is because we were headed for death ourselves. What a horrible tragedy it would be for Jesus to die on the cross for your sins or my sins and to offer you eternal life and forgiveness of sins and then for you to reject that gift and turn away from it. No wonder the writer of Hebrews warns in Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I want to end with this, and we're going to have a baptismal before we leave. Wes, if you want to, uh, wherever you're sitting, uh, if you want to get ready, I see you back there. Um, Wes accepted the Lord uh, prior to coming to New Song and has come, Don's son, and um, I'm excited to be able to have a baptism on on. Christmas Eve. But the great 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, if you haven't looked at the uh, Christ on the cross, you'll have to look at him on the throne with great trembling. The sacrificial death of Christ will be brought before the eyes of all who refuse to accept his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. In Bethlehem, he came in mercy to forgive sin. In the future, he will come on the, in the clouds in glory to establish justice. What will we do without a Savior? On the day of judgment, there is nothing we can do if we have not trusted Christ. Don't neglect such a great salvation offered to you. A free gift because of Jesus' sacrifice. We come to the cross and receive Jesus as our Savior so we may truly live. I've grown up in church, and you guys have heard this so many times. I've grown up in church. I know what it is to sit in the pew. I know what it is to just think this is all something that I've either been just told, I've gone through the gamut of emotions and thoughts and feelings. But I do know this. If you open yourself up, if you open yourself up to the Lord with a whole heart, totally surrendered, with unabandoned, without reservations, and just say, I need to know that you're real and I need to speak to you, he starts interacting with you in such a way you'll never have to deny that he's real again. I don't think I could even, I, I think even if I lost my sanity in my spirit, it would never let me 
deny that he's real. I always have the choice to quit following him. I always have that free will, but I cannot, I could not, in all honesty, ever tell somebody again that, that Jesus Christ is not real or that he's not alive. And if you have that solid in you and you know, then think about the awesome story you have to tell to everyone around you. Tell it and tell it. Never assume that someone already knows. Don't assume that the Christians around you really know that because they may know it in knowledge, but they may not have it in their heart. It may not drive them when they wake up in the morning to, to give praises to him, to listen to worship and, and to absorb his truth and his word. That's what he does in you. He gives you a song in your heart, new, a new song every day. He gets you up. He gets you going all for the same purpose that Jesus came in the beginning, that you may go out and make disciples that you may go out and he use you to seek and save the lost. That's what Christmas is about. What a wonderful thing to be reminded on Christmas Eve. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we go into the time of baptismal. Dear Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your wonderful blessings. The gift that you've given us will trump every gift given through this season. Lord, there is nothing that can compare to the free gift of salvation that you've given us. And God, we pray that we are reminded of that, that we spread that gospel truth that hope to everyone we come in contact with through this season and beyond. Jesus, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, I prayed and said, Lord, I'm ready for you to send a harvest of souls. God, I cannot stand when our baptismal is collecting dust. And Jesus, I thank you today and give you praise that, that we can honor you today through the baptism of a new believer. We give you all honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Wes, you come on up here. Now, I forewarned him that sometimes this is warm and sometimes not. feels pretty good right now. You know we can't get rid of this in the new building. It's just going to have to have rollers now and up a little higher. So. Just think it used to be in a creek, and when it got to November, it's kind of like, well, how brave are you, you know? We go to the creek or we ask a church to share their baptismal. Wes, come on over here. Wes came out and uh, helped us on the building project, put on some roofing and worked hard and shared with me that, uh, you know, recently he had uh, made a commitment to follow Christ and uh, he approached me about baptism and said, I want to be baptized. And I want to take a moment just, just to express, you know, baptism, we don't believe baptism saves you. Jesus commanded once follow it because listen, you can make a private decision. It's never meant to be private, but you can make a, a, a private, quiet decision to make to follow Jesus. And hopefully you make it public. But this is the avenue. That's why I've always said at New Song, over any fellowship dinner, over any program we ever do, the thing I always pray brings the most attendance is a baptism. That's what the focus should be. Is about when there's a public confession that I am going down as Jesus went in the grave, I'm going to identify with him. I'm going to be buried as I go in that water. And when I raise again, I'm a new creation. Free. But it's also a challenge. The reason it's public is because it's a challenge to the church and the believers that you help disciple the new believer, that you come alongside them. You can't just, I'm going to push your buttons a little bit. You can no longer have Wes walk in the door anymore and just say, oh, hi, Wes, how you, you know and then go on and get your coffee. You need to come up and, and pray with Wes. You need to see if you can make contact with him, see if he can encourage you. 
That's, that's what's making disciples, right? I see Mickey smile. Mickey's led a lot of men to the Lord. And you know, Mickey, it takes that follow-up, doesn't it? You know, every year in the Assemblies of God, we have to, ministers have to fill out this little report called the ACMR at the end of the year. And, and every minister would just love when he could put down, you know, so many salvations because there's a lot of churches that never report any salvations, sadly. Pastors praying for it and, and they're wanting it, but it's just people aren't, aren't reaching out and, and spreading the gospel. And that one's hard to answer, no. And there's, you know, how many baptisms, how many filled with the Holy Spirit. But you know, the hardest one for me because we've always been able to put salvations. That's a praise. But there's one that says, how many are still in the church? To me, that's the discipleship question. How many have we can maintained and, and kept in touch with and made them part of our family and discipled them? So as we baptize Wes this morning, this is your challenge to you, that you are his family, the family of God, and that you will help disciple Wes. Man, all right, brother. I can't guarantee how cold it is down low because so you'll just have to. Everybody watch this expression. We'll see. Okay, just come up here a little bit, and then what you're going to do is put your feet that way, and you'll just sit down on your on your backside there. It's getting serious now. I got rolled the sleeves. Thanks. Yeah. How's the water? How's the water down low? Not bad. Sometimes it's hot up top and really cold down. Wes, you're following in the steps of Jesus when you did this. Even John the Baptist didn't want to baptize Jesus, and he, and he said you have to. It's, it's what he uh, commanded us to do. So uh, I, I, um, I'm so thankful for your obedience. Just put your hand right over your nose, and now use your arm. Wes, because of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for this Christmas Eve as we go out. Lord, I pray uh, that if folks are going to the restaurants, give them favor over all the other churches. Not that you love us more just because we asked. And uh, Jesus, I just pray that everyone keep you first through this season. In your name I pray, amen.